Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back this week finishing the third and final book of the Hunger Games trilogy, Mockingjay. This wraps up Katniss and Peeta's journey and the end of the Panem as we know it, so there's a lot to get into today. Yeah, and as we say every week, for anyone who is new to our podcast, we're with the Nerd Party Network and we're best friends and we read and reread YA books from our adolescence and share the books with each other. And like I said, we always say this, but we've been alternating between series that one of us has read and the other hasn't. So you get to hear perspectives, um, our differing perspectives, one as a new reader and one of them as a rereader. But right now, as a treat to ourselves, we're covering The Hunger Games, which both of us have read and love. And then we're going to try to provide insights, thoughts, and see how something reads or feels after reading it as an adult. And in case you didn't get a chance to read along with us, we always give a plot summary of the reading. So this week, Charles is providing us with a summary for this series. So now he's going to go ahead and recap the second half of Mockingjay. And as we mentioned before, we are going to be spending the next two weeks on the prequel novel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And then we're going to announce our next series at the end of this episode. So don't miss out on that. Yeah, so wrapping up Mockingjay, we have the summary. District 2 falls, so the rebels invade the capital. Katniss, Gale, Peeta, Finnick, Boggs, and a huge team are infiltrating the capital, and they have to fight through traps in the capital, and gradually they lose most of the team. But they do make it to the president's mansion, where Prim is blown up. Katniss goes into shock, and she's asleep, but healed up during the week after the rebellion succeeds. Katniss prepares to execute Snow, but instead she shoots President Coyne. And she's basically allowed to go live off in 12, where she and Hamish and Peta live, and ultimately she and Peta do end up having children together. And just my quick impression of the reading was that I forgot how little time we spend in the capital. Like, they're there for, like, two, three days tops, and they just lose their team so quickly. Like, I knew that we were going to lose a lot of them, but I didn't remember that we lose them, like, in such quick succession. But, I mean, it makes sense. I just had completely forgotten it. Yeah, I also definitely forgot about how quickly everything moves once they actually get to the capital. Like, it's just boom, 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 and then the book's over. But my main impression is I think I might have to take back what I kept saying before about how The Hunger Games isn't that dark. And either I've just gotten softer from when I was 12 years old, or I just think that I honestly just wasn't that focused on the whole story and how many people died because like all of the deaths in this book, I just feel like hit me a lot harder this time around. Like so many people sacrifice their lives for like the freedom of everybody in Panem and so few of the characters we actually meet throughout the story actually end up surviving. Like obviously the, our three like main characters, if you're considering just Katniss, Pete, and Gil, they all survive. And so I was saying like maybe when I read this for the first time as a kid, I was just so focused on the main characters and their story. And because they ultimately survive and Katniss and Peeta do essentially get like their happy ending. I just kind of overlooked like more minor characters deaths, but like, even though they survived, like Katniss literally lost everyone who's ever been close to her. Like besides Peeta and Gail, like she lost 
like almost every person she met. So it was just like, and I think maybe that's just something coming from an adult perspective. Whereas like, I feel like reading as a kid when you're like hearing, like reading things about people dying, like I feel like you don't really understand. Like it's hard to like comprehend it. Whereas reading as adult, like I have a much better understanding of like how war is and like, I don't know. I just, it definitely was a lot sadder reading it this time around. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And you actually, that's a perfect place to start because we start with Gail being pretty evil in District 2. Like, he's prepared to blow up the nut and kill everyone inside. Yes, I wrote that down too because, yeah, he's just far too willing to, like, kill innocent people, like, with no hesitation. Yeah, we've definitely been ragging on Gail for that. Deservedly so because it's pretty aggressive how, like, and Katniss keeps having to, like, check him. She's always like, I disagree with you on, like, how you view these things. Yeah. And obviously that'll come back at the end of the reading. But so Katniss heads back to 13, and we have Annie and Finnick's wedding, which is really sweet. And she has her meeting with Peta, where she's talking about the kissing. And she tells Peter that she wasn't asking for his permission to kiss Gail, which I thought was, like, very sassy Katniss, but I was, like, here for it. Yes, but then their meeting kind of devolves into Peter being pretty cruel to Katniss. And I just wrote down in my notes that it was so sad that Katniss, like, she feels like Peter is seeing her, like, as she actually is, like, for who she really is. Like, she's a manipulative person. And... I did write down that at least, like, Gail's probably only, like, actual good line in the book is he's like, no, you, you, like, Peter has it wrong. Like, you're not a bad person. You're a good person. Like, that's the capital that's made him see this view of you thinking that, like, you're a manipulative mutt or something. Yeah, well, as we've been noticing this whole read, read, Katniss has a pretty low estimation of herself. She's like, I'm an okay shot, best archer in the world. Um, I do like that she and Joanna develop a bit of a friendship when they're prepping for deployment. And I kind of wish we'd found out what happens to Joanna after the war. Yeah, we kind of, like, I mean, that's like, like, the war ends and then the book's over. Like, it's all very quickly. And like I said, we get that happy ending with, like, Katniss and Peeta, but, like, you don't really get, we barely even get an ending for Gail, which we don't need, we can talk about that at the very end. But yeah, it is kind of interesting. Like, I just didn't remember it like ending like so abruptly. I feel like uh, with not, yeah, with almost like not full full closure. But back to what we were talking about before. So they're getting sent to two, and pretty quickly, Coin ends up sending Peta to Katniss. Like they've been picked to be like this special. When they're in the the capital. And they're, like, in the special assignment, and they just decide to send Pete along, which we already know Pete is unstable. Like, he's in handcuffs and has two guards, and they're like, oh, we want to get, like, some more of the um, propos for, because they're like, oh, everybody wants to know what happened to Pete, like, if he's okay. So, like, that kind of makes sense, but, like, not really, because Pete is a literal danger to Katniss. He's, his first sighting of her, he tried to kill her. And Boggs says that Coin must want, like, Coin wants Peta to kill Katniss. That's the only reason she would have sent him to be with Katniss. And Katniss is like, really? She's like, I know Coin doesn't like me, but she's just going to kill me like that. She doesn't need me anymore. And Boggs is basically like, well, Coin would obviously, like, he's it pretty much explains to Katniss how, like, 
for, you know, once this all ends, who's going to lead Panem? And if your first answer isn't President Coyne, like you're a threat to her politically. And so obviously Boggs is like, she doesn't think that you'll support her. So it's, it'll be easier if she can just, you know, Katniss gets killed. Now she's a martyr. So, and she doesn't have to deal with her anymore. So like we said, President Coyne has lots of major red flags. Yeah, that's not even, like, a red flag. Like, that's something that you break up over. Like, a red flag is something you notice that's like, hmm, President Coyne likes controlling people's every moment and movement of the day. But, like, that's probably a personality trait I don't like. But Coyne being like, I think I should kill you. You know, that would be, like, something to to terminate the relationship over. So, yeah. yeah. If Coyne, like, yeah, I understand her motives, but, like, well, if you wanted Katniss to like you, or if you wanted there to be a chance that Katniss would like you, well, obviously she didn't. She thought she was going to kill her off. But anyway. And so they're in the Capitol, and they just start to lose people left and right, like from the film crew and the sharpshooters. And then they get underground, and they make it all the way to the lizard mutts. And this is where Finnick dies. Yes, which I also... I mean, I remember, like, reading this for the first time, but, like, it's... And, again, it's kind of hard when, like, you see in the movies because, like, they are slightly different. And in the book, like, Finnick's death is honestly pretty anticlimactic because Katniss doesn't even notice that he's missing because they're running away from... Is this the lizards? Yeah, the lizard mutts, the, the white lizards. On Which they're, like, on the tunnels underground, so they're trying to get out, and... They're running from them, and it's kind of just, like, a free-for-all at this point. Like, everyone's trying to run away, and, like, they lose a whole bunch of people. And then they're trying to climb out of the tunnels, and then Katniss realizes, like, there's only, like, three of them left. And she sees, like, who's down there left, and it's Finnick. And then she just is, like, shoots, or or she throws the hollow in. Like, she says, Nightlock, 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 so it to explode. So he, so he can just die, obviously. But, like, she doesn't even have a moment where she's like, where's Finnick? It's just, like, she notices that a whole bunch of people are missing. And then and then she sees that Finnick's is left. And she, like, makes comment of, like, oh, I'll have to deal with this later. Because, obviously, right now, the only thing I'm thinking about is survival. But I just, just this moment in the movie, to me, is a lot more dramatic. Like, also because how it's described in the book, which it's obviously a difference between writing versus visually seeing something but i believe in the movie like they're fighting and katniss gets attacked by one of the lizards and finnick ends up like helping her and as she's climbing Mm -hmm. away he gets attacked by a whole bunch more and she like screams his name like it's way more dramatic and like a very climactic moment whereas in the book it just like all of a sudden finnick's not with them anymore yeah it and like you said katniss doesn't even have a chance to grapple with it because they're just running. And I totally agree that, like, actually reading it this time, I was like, that felt like a little bit of an anticlimax for a character whom we've had for two books and, like, Katniss really, like, loves. That it was like, oh, I guess Finnick's dead. Because I remember when I read it the first time, I was like, that can't be Finnick dead. Like, I had to read it, like, three times. I was like, she didn't just kill yeah. Finnick. But I guess, too, because when we talk about, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's just, like, 
maybe too because we knew it was coming it wasn't as shocking because like i remember it being very shocking reading it the first time because you're like like you just said this was a character that you're like he's kind of on main character level like she's not going to kill a main character like you know what i mean yeah i think that probably the shock like as soon as we got to the lizard mutts like as soon as they went underground and they heard the hissing i was like oh we're coming up on phoenix death so that probably definitely factored in because i i knew to expect it yeah (sighs) okay well, this is the moment of the episode where <laughs> sometimes this happens where I write down something and I'm like, I'm 100% sure Asia wrote down the same thing. Asia, do you know what I'm thinking of? Yes, because after they get away and they go stay in, is this when they Tigress. they stay with Tigress and her like little hidden basement thing? Katniss is like asleep, but then she like wakes up and she overhears a conversation between Gail and Peta. While she, like, pretends to sleep, which is exactly what happens in Twilight. And I was like, who knew there were so many parallels between, like, the Hunger Games and Twilight? Like, I've never really made that connection before. Well, that was for you to know, because I only just read Twilight. But, yes, I wrote that down, too. (laughs) That I was like, oh, my God, we've got the Jacob-Edward conversation. And... I mean, this one was much more brief. Yeah. But... It was like a couple sentences where it's like, I think in Twilight, it's like a whole chapter that they talk. Well, also in Twilight, like this, it's kind of this like touching moment of Edward being like, just because I know that she belongs to me, like she loves me, like I know that she's like chosen me, I'm going to tell you my thoughts because I can always read yours. And he's like, Edward is doing this out of generosity to Jacob because he like, he wants Jacob around because it makes Bella happy. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is very much like, Peter's like, I'm lost in life. I don't know what's going on. And Gail is like, she belongs to me. But anyway, so then Gail says that Katniss will choose the person she can't live without. And for Katniss, she's like, okay, one. Wow, Gail thinks I'm so calculating and he's supposed to love me and he just thinks I'm a robot who's just going to choose my survival instincts. And then she's like, okay. Gail can hunt, but Peta can bake. And I was like, Katniss, I don't think that's what he's thinking about. I think he's talking about, like, how you went insane when Peta was taking away. You cannot survive without Peta. And Katniss, because she's, like, so in shock that Gail thinks her so calculating, she's like, practically, whom can I live without? Gail can help me get food, but Peta can also help me get food. Well, yeah, like, she she kind of, I mean, again, how we just said, like, she kind of underestimates herself. She's just assuming that Gail's kind of saying, like, she's just this manipulative person, so she's going to just pick whoever's going to benefit her the most. Yeah. When it's, like you said, he's actually saying, like, who can you not? I mean, that's just, like, I mean, I feel like that the love triangle trope, like, who you pick is the person you can't live without. It's the person that you, because that's the person you ultimately love the most. You You don't want to live without them. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we get to a more climactic moment, which I still think held up, even though I knew it was coming. So they all go to the president's mansion, they get separated, and there's a bunch of capital children that have been roped off. Some bombs come in, half of them explode, killing a bunch of the children. A bunch of healers come in. And then the other half of the bombs explode, but one of the healers was Prim, so she is blown up. Yeah, so Prim's death is definitely more climactic than Finnick's death, which makes sense because Prim is obviously 
the most important person at Katniss. She's the person she's been trying to protect this whole series. And I still can't believe that Collins killed Prim in the story. Like, I understand why she did it because it gives Kat- it gives Katniss's character, like, you know, that ultimate trauma, like we just said. Like, the one person that it's... Katniss has dedicated her entire life to protecting Prim is the, like, in this moment, she still ultimately couldn't save her from, like, the, her circumstances. And, like, so it definitely, like, I still remember, I remember reading this for the first time, this death, because I don't know, I was definitely shocked by Phoenix, but Prim's death, I remember I had to read it, like, five times to be, like, Prim? I was, like, Prim's dead? Like, what? Especially because the chapter afterwards, it's Katniss being, like, am I alive? I'm dead. Like, she's, like, coming back to herself, one, because she's, like, coming off of the drugs, but two, because she's, like, all she's been, she's been in nightmares the whole time. So it's also, uh, like, the chapter afterwards, you don't get confirmation that Prim is dead. Like, we know she's dead, but if you just kept reading, you kind of could be like, hmm, maybe she survived. I, like, Yeah, it's kind like, of unclear. Or you just don't want to believe it. Yeah, like cause... Because, again, you just go into Katniss's, like, brain space. So I t- same thing happened to me the first time I read it. And we may have mentioned this previously, but I have a reputation in our apartment for being a prim hater. Terrible. But Asia made a good point like a couple months ago. Like when we were planning out this podcast, we obviously knew we would cover the Hunger Games at some point. And she's like, because I've always been like, prim shouldn't have been there. Stupid. Like she's 13. Like she shouldn't have, she shouldn't have volunteered to go in. But like it was a war zone. But Asia made a really good point that like, it doesn't that like the reason it's so devastating is because all of the events of the series are because the it's initiated by Prim's name being drawn from the reaping bowl and Katniss going to save Prim. Like Katniss, the yeah, first hungry game she's in is because she's gonna like she's like I will die instead of Prim, and so she all of the motion, all of all of the events like the rebellion. Her f- meeting Peta, even it's all because she was gonna protect Prim, and then Prim gets taken from her, not even by the games. So that's why, like, the death of Prim is, and reading it with that, with Asia's perspective that way, like, helped me be like a little less aggressive on Prim for being there. Also, because as we discussed last episode, Prim actually has like a pretty good character arc in Mockingjay, but it was. Yeah, I still don't think she should have been there, but we obviously know that Coin planted her there, so. Yeah. Well, before we get there, we should say Katniss thinks at first that it was the capital, but then she goes and meets with Snow, and he basically reveals, like, the bombs were all from 13, because, like, if there was a hovercraft, he would not have let himself get captured. Yeah, he would have escaped, which Katniss starts to believe it, and honestly, it does make sense, because... First of all, the whole half of the bombs detonating, waiting for that second wave of, like, uh, first responders, like, healers coming, and then a second wave of bombs going off. That was literally the bomb that Gail and BT were talking about, specifically Gail, before. So, like, that essentially could have been Gail's bomb. And this is why, like, ultimately right there, that's the reason, like, Katniss will never be able to love Gail, which... She, they even like have a brief moment in the book of like she's always going to associate it with him whether it actually was or not because he talked about it before but then I also wanted to say about because how you just said about how coin planted her there I think that's also like 
pretty good reasoning of it being like Coin was behind it because why would she have approved like a 13 year old, even if she's a good healer, she's the sister of the Mockingjay. Why would you let her go on the front lines of the war? She's a child. Like, I just feel like. Yeah, Katniss reasons that out. She's like, she's like, Prim shouldn't have been there. She's 13. Like, why wasn't her mom there? Why was she allowed to go, but her mother wasn't? Like, those things. And also, I feel like President Coin doesn't like Katniss. So, Maybe she was hoping Prim would get hurt. Like, I don't know. Yeah, Katniss is like, I think she was trying to break me further. Like, I think she was trying to further cement that I'm lost. Like, that I have nothing left. Yeah. And going back to what you said about Gail, like, so Katniss asks him if he made the bombs. And I quote, Gail says, what's the difference? And I'm like, well, Gail, if you could have confirmed that it wasn't your bomb, I think that would make quite a difference if you could say, I didn't design those bombs, but because you deep down know that you did design them, and either, like, his attitude of what's the difference because she's dead, I'm like, I think that if you could say that you didn't kill her sister, she might be able to, like, there might be a difference. (laughs) But, yeah, like, but you're right, this is one of, it's the reason that Katniss chooses not to be with Gail, but we're going to talk more about that at the end. Well, I think Gail even says that he's got nothing going for him because the only thing he had left was the idea that he had always protected her family. And now and Katniss has no family to protect. In fact, yeah, he ultimately failed, so. And so then this leads to, we find out that the only victors left are Beatty, Hamish, Katniss, Peta. Joanna and Inabaria. So one, just got to say, wow, District 12 only had four victors ever. One of them had died and all three of them make it through the rebellion. Good odds <laughs> for 12. But also like, what, when we got into the quarter quell, they said like 40 or 50 of the victors were still alive. Yeah. Something like that. So we knew that like, we knew that like 20 of them at least died in the quell. But that means the other 30 must have died in the rebellions. Like we met Lime in the first half of Mockingjay. Like, she was leading the rebellion in two. I guess, yeah, they all would have been dead because they did say that they were, they were the only victors the left. The only victors left. And it's a council of seven. And Coin is like, well, obviously we have to punish the capital even further. And I don't want to just kill off all of them because I think that would be bad, you know. But what if we just do one more Hunger Games with their children? And, and they put it yeah, to a vote. They put it to a vote. They put it to a vote, and so obviously, like, PETA's like, no, we can't do it. I think Anobaria and Joanna are immediate yeses. Annie says, Annie, I don't think you said Annie, but Annie also. Annie says no. Right. She's like, if Finnick's here, he would have said no, too. So that's and then two Coin's and two. Like, and Coin, no, Joanna's like, well, she, he's not, because the Capitol killed him. And I was yeah. like, Joanna, that's not the point. <laughs> and then all that's left, then, that leaves, wait, I'm missing somebody. It's three and two. Three BT. for the yes. What does BT say? BT says no. BT says no. PETA say no. And so does Annie. And Annie. So that's three and there's two. So there's two people left, which is Hamish and Katniss, which this is where I said that Katniss is, I wrote down that she's really, really smart. And I also loved how her and Hamish are kind of always, they really are always on the same page because Katniss decides to vote for the Hunger Games because by doing that, she ultimately is winning Coin's trust because she's saying, yes, I agree with you. That is the right decision. Even though we've read this entire series from Katniss, Katniss's perspective, we know that that's not what she actually wants. 
and Hamish ends up being the deciding vote. And because he trusts Katniss's judgment, and like I said, they're on the same page, he also votes yes for it to happen. Even though Peta is just like totally betrayed, he's like, how could you do this? Like, obviously they would never actually want that. And this is something that I feel like I obviously picked up on the rereading. Like, I remember reading this for the first time and being like, what is she doing? Like, hasn't she said the whole time that that the Hunger Games are terrible and blah, blah, blah. But also, like, Coin even suggesting the Hunger Games shows that, like, she was always just as bad as President Snow as all the Capitol people, which I think there's, like, a line, I think, when Katniss, I think this is after, she ends up um, assassinating Coin, that she's, like, she wishes she were de- she was dead because if, like, we're going back into a world where they're still using the Hunger Games, she's, like, it's not a world that I want to live in anymore. Like, it's not a world... Or she says something like, they we should all destroy each other because, obviously, we are not meant to live and survive if, as humans, we're going to sacrifice children, like, to fight for our entertainment. Battles, yeah. To fight our battles. Like, that's not... She's, like, our species no longer, like, deserves, deserves to exist. to exist, yeah. Exactly. But... Yeah. Like I totally. just kind of said. <laughs> well, then, like you said, iconically, Katniss raises the bow and she shoots Coin instead, which is an amazing scene in the movie because it's Julianne Moore playing President Coin, mm-hmm. and she's excellent as Coin, and she's like kind of like standing there like a Christ figure, like very fascist Christ figure, like arms out, outstretched, and she's like ha 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 ha, and then boom. I don't think she laughs. That's Snow. No, but this Snow's is how like she... Snow's like laughing and Snow's choking like, on his blood. Like, <laughs> like a literal psychopath. <laughs> no, but she's <laughs> like... Coin is like... Mm. You can't see. I went. I did crazy eyes. But Coin is like, yes, I'm finally the dictator of this North America. And then like, boom, arrow to the heart. Yeah, it was definitely a good moment too because she knew that like that was her only shot. And ultimately like Coin was just like going to be a new Snow So, and then, like I said, President Snow gets, like, trampled by the crowd, and Katniss does get locked up. They immediately take her, and she tries to bite her nightlock pill to, like, commit suicide, but Peta comes out of nowhere and, like, puts his hand on it, and she bites his hand. Like, I didn't remember any of that, because I don't think that's in the, I don't think that's exactly how it plays out in the movie. Well, yeah, because I don't think in the movie we get, like, Katniss's attempt at suicide. Because Katniss is like, they're going to torture me, they're going to string me up. She's like, I did, so, like, she goes in killing Coin with the expectation that she's going to have to kill herself so that, to, like, prevent further misery. And I don't think we really get that in the movie. There's, like, a whole bunch of pages about her being suicidal. She's like, I'll just starve myself to death. And I was like... like she's like, in the room, she's in the training center, and she's like, there's nothing to kill myself with. Because she... Yeah, she's, like, expecting to have to do that. But I don't really think that lends itself that well to a movie because it would be very strange if Katniss was, like, standing in the training center room being like, I'm trying to kill myself, but, like, we wouldn't get her thoughts in the movie. Yeah. Also, like, again, got to get that PG-13 rating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, yeah, so she does end up, she gets locked up, and she's there for, like, I think a few days or maybe a week or something. And then they do end up releasing her... Because Plutarch's like, they just said that you were insane. You had a moment of insanity. And they move on, basically. Yeah, she really gets off easy. I mean, like, yeah, they have the medical diagnosis that she's insane. Like, she was the the leader, the president of North America. But 
whatever. Maybe people also felt sort of the same dictatorial leanings. Well, I think not everybody loved Coin anyway. And also, I mean, Candace did actually suffer from PTSD. Like, yeah. And she helped the rebellion a lot. So what she, like, her punishment, like, kind of makes sense. Totally. So Paler is going to cover. She was the commander of the Katniss Men 8. Katniss's mom is not going to come back to 12, they've decided. And Gail is going to go to 2. So Katniss and Hamish head back to 12. And I write that Katniss, she wrote down that Katniss feels relief that Gail is gone. Like, she's glad that she doesn't have to confront or see him or think about him anymore. Because, you know, he killed her sister. Yay, no more Gail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also like didn't rem- I like didn't remember exactly what happened to Gail at the end, but yeah, he's just kind of he just disappears from her life essentially. Yep. Um, but I also didn't realize, and I think this is also not. I don't think this not is what happens all. in the movie. But Katniss is goes into a depression lasting for months, and she does absolutely nothing. She says she just sits on the couch. Greasy say comes and like cooks for her, makes sure she eats like at least twice a day. But she says all she does she sits there. Just doing nothing until PETA, you know, like we just said, months later, because he does the rest. He does his therapy in the Capitol until they, like, deem that he's okay. And then he gets sent to 12, so months later. And when he finally shows up, like, this weight kind of wakes Katniss out of her depression. And she says how she's been wearing the same clothes she came back in from the Capitol. So she's been sitting around in the same outfit for months, like... She's got to have, like, I don't know, mushrooms growing on her skin or something. That's so disgusting. I can imagine being that I mean, I feel like she probably, like, might have showered in them. But, like, either way, either way, like, it's still. Based on how it was described in the book, it literally said, I've been sitting in this same place. And she's like, all I do is get up and go to the bathroom. Greasy Say brings me food. Like, it didn't sound like she went up and got to bed. She stayed on the couch (laughs) for months in the same outfit. Didn't brush her teeth. Her her teeth would have fallen out. Think about how many yeah, cavities she would have had. That's Let's so disgusting. That. It, it's, it, I, I did not shocked. remember it being that graphic either, but it was like, it did say like the same clothes I arrived in. It's pretty gross, but like we said, her depression is pretty understandable. She has no one left in her life. And except Hamish, and he exactly, he's not exactly like a uh, lightning force. And then she does start to go to therapy, which is like, that was actually, like, I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is, like, pretty progressive for when this book came out, that, like, Katniss kind of, like, self-suggests her own therapy, because she starts journaling, and she writes down the history of the Hunger Games, and most importantly, like, the, the history of the tributes. And I was like, mm-hmm. I forgot that that's how she copes with it, because, like, I think that yeah. Suzanne Collins was was always lauded and did a good job of lauding, like, and I second that, of, like, describing, like, the actual mental health and trauma that Katniss is going through. But I was like, oh, we even have her, like, doing supervised therapy afterwards that seems apt for what she went through. Like, that was, I forgot that little bit of it. Yeah, and all that change, like, mainly comes because PETA finally comes back. Because PETA is the one she can't survive without. Okay, we'll get there in a second. But anyway, we do get some other uh, resolution to something that I mentioned last episode that I about Madge, because I was like, do we ever hear from her again? We do find out that Madge died in her house with the rest of her family during the bombings. So that was really sad, but at least we do at least get some closure on her character of what happened to her. 
And then, of course, we have the very, very heartbreaking scene where Katniss finds Buttercup the cat, who has traveled on foot from District 13 to District 12 and survived. And I remember, especially, like, in the movie, like, Jennifer Lawrence's performance of this, like, it is just totally heart-wrenching, like, because she's, like, yelling at the cat to, like, get out, and he's just hissing at her because he's looking for Prim, and obviously Prim's gone. And then Katniss ends up scooping up Buttercup, and, like, they just cuddle together. It's really sad. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, really hard scene to watch in the movie. Jennifer Lawrence really, really did crush it. Yeah. But also, can you imagine that cat, like, going from, like, Vancouver? One tough cat. Vancouver, not Vancouver. But, um... From Toronto, like a cat walking, like basically from like Toronto to Manhattan. A long way. Like somewhere in Canada to somewhere in the middle of the Appalachian Trail. Like that's a long way for a cat, a house cat to walk. Anyway, we do end up, end the series, I should say, on a warmer note because Katniss and Peta do sort of soften, they handle their traumas together. They do fall back in love and they do end up having two children because Peter really, really wanted to have kids. And Asia, I know you have the quote, but first I wanted to mention that we get the same line of Peter bakes. I hunt Hamish drinks, which was in catching fire when the three of them are just living in the victor's village. And they've like established sort of like a functional rapport. And I was like, Oh, we got that line back because they're back to being a little family sort of in a weird way. But Asia, I know you want to talk about Peter Katniss, so why don't you take it away? Yeah, so I I had to actually write down the exact quote from the book because it is just such a good way, I feel like, to end the series, especially in reference to Gail's comment that Katniss will choose whoever she needs to survive. And the quote is, That what I need to survive is not Gail's fire kindled with rage and hatred. I have plenty of fire myself. What I need is the dandelion in the spring, the bright yellow that means rebirth instead of destruction, the promise that life can go on no matter how bad our loss is, that it can be good again, and only PETA can give me that. Which, I just it's just the best line ever. Like, it literally encompasses everything that we've always said about the difference between PETA and Gail. And, like, PETA has always kind of been this beacon of hope for her, especially, like, when PETA gave Katniss the bread, their, like, first real meeting... She saw. She says how she saw the dandelion, like, right after that moment, and how it kind of changed everything in her life for her. So, like, yes, Peta is the one she can't survive without. Like, her and Gail are very similar, and Gail is almost more, like, like she said, filled with rage and hatred. And, like, she doesn't need that. She needs someone to balance her out, someone who is sunshine and rainbows. And that's Peta <laughs> making his cakes and making everything happy. It's true. Yeah, it, as you were reading it, I was like, "Ugh, it's the boy with the bread." Like, yes, literally reminding her her lowest moment in her life that she could survive. Well, that is yeah, and so she ends up with Peta. Thank goodness, as we said, she needed to. Any other thoughts before we wrap up this book or the this arc of the plot? Um, I just wanted to point out that. In the book, like, Effie Trinket isn't, like, mentioned at all during Mockingjay until the very end when she's getting ready to assassinate, or not assassinate, kill, carry out the execution of President Snow. Effie's, like, just like how they did the victory and stuff, like, she's getting her ready. 
And basically, I think they kind of say that, like, she was held prisoner in the Capitol, but she just ended up surviving, which I thought it was a nice change in the movie that, you know, Effie makes it to District 13. Like, I feel like the role that the prep team played in the books, Effie kind of takes on that role of, like, struggling to adjust to District 13 life, coming from the Capitol, coming from a very privileged life to having little to nothing, which I just thought was nice because we get to see Effie more and she is more of like a main character in the movies. Whereas like I said in the books, we just like, she's just thrown in there at the end, basically to say she's not dead. Yeah, Effie definitely figures in more throughout the books generally than she does in, I mean, throughout the movies than she does in the books. And that's because they got a really, really famous actress, Elizabeth yeah. Banks, to play her. And she did a really good job playing her. But I think that you're right. Like, they didn't, like, we may have even never, we may have heard the name of the prep team. Like, we might have heard their names in the movie. But they don't like, have as big a role. They definitely don't make it to 13. They're not a big role. Whereas, like, they definitely, I think that you're right. They kind of gave her, their plot to Effie, which made more sense anyway. But I agree. I actually think that was a good change in the movie because also, like, the Woody Harrelson, Elizabeth Banks dynamic as Hamish and Effie was just so good on screen. Yeah. But they, like, they had to keep that. But I I think that wraps it up. I mean, Wait, I had one more thing I wanted to say. I think it was also how, so how we said Katniss and Peeta have kids at the end, like in the epilogue. Mm-hmm. I think they talk about them having children and how basically, like, you know, after 5, 10, 15 years, whatever, they say Peta kind of convinces her that, like, we should have kids. Like, I really want kids. And she talks about, like, how she's going to explain this to her children. And I just think it is, like, interesting of, like, how they're going to have to learn to deal with the amount of trauma they experience that they endured, like, and how they're going to teach that history to their children. I just, like, I didn't really remember that as much. Because, I mean, it's at the very end of the book. Like, there's a couple sentences about it. And I was like, I think that was important for her to, like, for Collins to put in there. Like, because the idea of, like, yes, they get their happy ending. But, like, they also lost a lot and are going to be forever, like, scarred by it. And how that's going to take them into the future. Yeah, she's worried. She's like, the girl is coming up on the age where she's going to start learning about it in school. And the kids know that their parents were involved in the Hunger Games, but they don't really know the significance. Of, like, how much they were involved. Yeah. And how she says, like, eventually I'm going to have to explain to them why I still wake up screaming in the middle of the night. Like, why I still have nightmares and why they're never going to go away. And I was like, yeah, I remembered her describing it, but I was like, it, it it was still pretty profound reading it. A second time, even though I knew that that little speech was coming. Yeah. But yeah, that but wraps it up. It. That's the Hunger Games. The trilogy. The trilogy of the Hunger Games. But there has been a new addition to the story, which we will be starting next week, which is the prologue, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And so if you're going to read along with us, make sure you read the first half, which is going to be chapters 1 through 16 for next week. And we can now announce our next series, which we will be starting in two weeks, which is The Giver Quartet by Lois Lowry, which Charles has read at least the first book, I believe. I've never read it before. Yeah, I've read the first two books. So this series, I hate to call it even a series because it's 
the four books basically take place within the same world. And I think that we have some character overlap and some meeting, but it's not like, it's not like we're going to follow characters from book one through book four. They all belong together. That's why they're called, Lois Lowry's called them the Gibber Quartet because they, they belong as a set and they all take place in the same world. But it's going to be a little different because it's not like we're following one bunch of characters from beginning to end, which might be nice because we've only really done like series series on the podcast so far. And mm-hmm. I read The Giver sixth grade for my humanities class. But it's like a, it's a pretty common piece of like YA lit. Like a lot of American schools teach The Giver in middle school or ninth grade. And I read the sequel or the second book, I should say, called Gathering Blue, which I loved. So, and The Giver had a really good movie made out of it in, like, 2011, I think. Yeah. I've seen the movie. The movie is good. The book is really, really excellent. And I've never read Messenger or Son, which are the third and fourth in the set. But I'm really excited to dive into it because The Giver is, it's a really, again, we're going to, we're saying, as we said, when we launched the section on the Hunger Games, we wanted to do like a little bit of a dystopia unit because unit, I'm like writing a curriculum. So <laughs> dystopia unit. Well, it's a very unit. common, it's a, or a very common as of recent, like. Genre thing for, for YA thing. Yeah, it was yeah. a big genre. Well, <laughs> so because we of the Hunger Games. Yeah, the, the Giver had already been written before. The Giver is obviously like, like I said, it's a piece of like classic American YA literature, but the. Hunger Games really sparked like a contemporary writing movement of dystopian fiction. So, and that's a lot of those doing. books being made into movies. Yeah. So, that's what we're doing next. But, like Asia said, we're going to spend the next two weeks on the Hunger Games prequel, which I can't wait for Charles to read. It's very good. I really enjoyed it. I'm excited. I haven't read it, but I'm stoked. Get to hear about the evil President Snow. I know, I know. So if you have any predictions or theories or questions, remember, we always say this, you can stay in touch with us on the Nerd Party website. You just hover to, wow, I said that so fast. You just head over to thenerdparty.com slash contact, slow down, Charles, and you select throwback paperback, and you can send us an email there and get in touch with the network at large on Twitter, at Joy Nerd Party, Instagram at the Nerd Party, Facebook.com slash the Nerd Party. To find me directly, I'm at C.E. Sheeland on Twitter and at Seashells on Instagram. And I'm at AsiaBonia on Twitter and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yep, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.